Interface is a proud sponsor of the How to Specify podcast, teaching the importance of sustainability in design. Interface set out on their sustainability journey back in 1994. Yes, 94. And since then, they've been leading the way in sustainable manufacturing and product design. From thoughtfully designed carpet tiles and LVT to durable Nora rubber flooring, Interface makes carbon neutral products that make an impact on people's lives, their spaces, and the planet. Lower your carbon footprint with one positive step. Visit interface.com today to learn more about their carbon neutral floors. Hello everyone, this is Robert Nyaminen, Chief Content Director for Interiors and Sources, and you're listening to the I Hear Design podcast. We're continuing our How to Specify series that we launched earlier this year to help keep designers and specifiers up to date with what's happening in the world of product manufacturing and what you need to know before you start sourcing your next project. In today's episode, which we are actually recording on Earth Day, we're gonna be focusing in on furniture and more specifically and appropriately, sustainable furniture. Because as we continue to tackle the issue of climate change, it's evident that the products and furnishings that go into buildings have a significant impact on the environment, especially when you consider that buildings account for 40% of annual global greenhouse gases. But how can you tell if a product is truly sustainable or if it's just been greenwashed? Um, and with all the certifications that are out there on the market, how do you know what they measure and what they don't? To answer some of these questions and offer some clarity to the conversation, I've invited Brad Miller, Director of Advocacy and Sustainability for the Business and Institutional Furniture Manufacturers Association, better known as BIFMA, as well as Jennifer Womack, Director of Outreach at BIFMA, to join me today. So Brad and Jennifer, thanks for being here. Thank you for having us, Robert. Yeah, sure. Well, for our listeners out there who may not be familiar with BIFMA, can you give them sort of the quick elevator pitch on what it is that you do as an association? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, BIFMA is a nonprofit trade association. We represent the commercial furniture manufacturers based in North America. We have international members as well. Uh, we've been around for close to 50 years, 47 uh, ish and counting. Um, so we've been doing this for a long time. We do a variety of things, but I think what most people know us for, and certainly this will probably be the case with your listeners, are the safety performance and sustainability standards that BIFMA develops for commercial furniture. And, and so that's a really a big part of what we do and, and a lot of what we'll be talking about today will we'll really focus in on that. We do a little bit of advocacy where we, it might be important for us to speak on behalf of the industry um, with legislation and so on. Uh, and then we also have a, a, a nice statistics program where we capture information from our members and are able to provide that to them in terms of the growth of the different segments and things like that. It helps them in their product development processes. So I guess uh, from a high level, that's probably what, what we do sort of day in and day out. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks for that introduction. I appreciate it. So um, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, furniture and sustainability go hand in hand. And um, sustainable design and product manufacturing have really come a long way in 20 years or so. Um, where would you uh, say that we are now in terms of the sustainability conversation and how important is it in the, con in the context of design today? Um, this, Brad? This, yeah, this is Brad. The, uh, I think the clarity and consensus uh, amongst designers and manufacturers uh, and purchasers is all increased over that 
20-year period. Uh, the initial focus on wood emissions and recycled content has, has broadened. There's, there's a, a, an array of uh, impact areas that are of concern uh, and agreed upon today. Uh, but uh, the attributes that a purchaser might want to see or know about are not uniformly uh, provided or explained. So there's a lot of work still to be done, I think, uh, in that area of alignment and harmonization amongst all of the programs and the people that uh, uh, work with uh, and on these issues. Uh, Additionally, I think critical to the design process today, sustainability in uh, all of its aspects, including health, are, are more important than ever. And uh, we are attempting at BIFMA to make sure in our standard and in our work that it's embedded into everything we do. Hmm. Absolutely. Jennifer, did you want to weigh in on that at all? No, I mean, I think Brad really, really covered it there. Okay. Well, there's, you know, there's a myriad of certification programs on the market to differentiate products and how green they are, uh, as we alluded to. Um, can you briefly explain for our listeners the major differences between first, um, second, and third-party certifications and what single versus multi-attribute testing is all about? Yes, we can. You're absolutely right that this is kind of a confusing area um, for folks. When it comes to this um, notion of for second, third party, I like to think of it as really a proximity issue. Um, how, how close is the person or entity making the claim to, to the claim itself? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that kind of speaks to how unbiased or reliable the claim might be perceived to be. We have a, a CEU course that explains this in, in sort of a helpful way, I think, if not perhaps a little bit silly, but but I think it does make a nice illustration. If something is a first party claim, this is a really, you know, me telling you something about myself. So in an example where you might have a baker, you know, they stand up and say, oh, hey, I make the very best chocolate chip cookies in the world, you know, so may or may not be true. Um, when you get to second party claim, this is, this is probably the least used out there. It's almost like a, a middle ground that people don't tend to land on, but, but in our example, um, they would be, you know, a little bit further removed. So that might be, you know, say the flower vendor, you know, so somebody may be connected to the person making the claim, um, but not directly connected. When you get to a third party claim, um, and this is quite often used, um, this is when we're talking about, you know, an independent entity who, who really has no relationship to the company making the claim. So in our example, this would be like, you know, a well-respected food critic or something like that saying, yes, indeed, you know, I, because of my expertise and so on, and you can trust me, it's sort of the consumer reports, you know, unbiased, unbiased version. And so, um, so I think that kind of helps explain what it is. Um, in the world of standards, uh, the third party certification really can be considered the you know, gold standard, if you will, because it is considered the most reliable and the most verifiable. And then even more, I would say, when, when we're talking about the topic of sustainability, um, you, know, you use the word greenwashing as part of your introduction, and mm -hmm. I think most, most everybody's familiar with that. And that really speaks to why 
people often have a, a, an appropriate, a rightful skepticism about claims related to sustainability because it is so complex. Um, and so, so that's why these third party certifications become so critical. Just finally, I'll say when it comes to level, uh, which is a third party certification program uh, that BIFMA uh, operates, we go even further to where we, we license the independent certifiers who do the accreditation. So BIFMA itself doesn't do the accreditation. I think mm -hmm. sometimes people are confused about that. Um, there are accreditation bodies out there. This is their expertise and we license them so that you know, we're assuring that they, you know, they understand the standard and they can really do a good job of, of making the claims. I'll turn it over to you, Brad, to take a stab at the single versus multi-attribute question. Yes, thank you, Jennifer. The, the uh, uh, multi-attribute uh, nature of, of the program is, uh, I think, one of its uh, uh, best uh, features. Uh, a single attribute program you might be familiar with would be the uh, Forest Stewardship Council or FSC program for sustainable wood, which is basically a tracking through chain of custody verification to make sure that you have sustainable forestry practices. That's a great thing, but it's one attribute. There are, in our standard today, 111 different points you can get for water, energy, uh, recycled content, uh, um, all of the things that are uh, might not independently or individually be top of mind for everyone, but in an overarching way are uh, the go-to uh, measurement points for a sustainability standard. So that's that's the main difference uh, between the two. Uh, a multi-attribute standard may incorporate FSC criteria or uh, furniture emissions criteria, but it does address the macro picture of including wellness and end-of-life strategies for products and so forth. Right, yeah. And you both touched on the on the level program, which is what I wanted to talk about next. So can you talk a little bit more about what it is and, and how it can help designers ensure that they are specifying uh, sustainable products with confidence? Sure. It's, level is the certification program to BIFMA's voluntary furniture sustainability standards. So we created the standard first, which we do and have done since the 70s for uh, uh, a dozen uh, or so uh, standards for the and uh, performance of products. The sustainability standard, uh, when we put it out into the marketplace, was one because it was new and because uh, it was, uh, in many ways, a new conversation with not our and not only our industry but many others. Uh, determined that by us that we needed a program such as Level. Uh, a mark that would distinguish a product that had gone through the, the rigor of assessment and come out the other end with a uh, uh, gold star, so to speak, as to passing and at what threshold of the standard it passed. Uh, the, I, I think we mentioned uh, multi-attribute. We also use a transparent, open, multi-stakeholder process to ensure that uh, we capture the expertise of not only manufacturers, but academia, government, consumers, 
environmental groups so that everyone has at the table and everyone is invited uh, to participate. They are open meetings. Uh, another great feature of, of the program in my mind uh, when we develop the standard and then the level certification program, we attempt to have that same kind of broad view uh, approach. It's been one that we put through the test of a pilot program with the Environmental Protection Agency and EPA did end up recommending level amongst the programs that are uh, recommended uh, uh, a couple years ago uh, oh, wow. yeah. for various other sectors. So we were very pleased to see that. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Jennifer, did you want to add anything to that uh, as far as how the program works? Maybe I'll just amplify a little bit that last point that Brad was making about the EPA recommendation. I think that's um, maybe something that we could point to where we would say designers can have confidence in, mm -hmm. in both, you know, the process that he explained, but also the fact that um, it has been adopted by, you know, some some of these different governmental and um, organizations and so on as, you know, people who have really combed through it and and determined that it's it's a really great tool to help them in their pursuit to have more sustainable choices. Mm, yeah, okay. So how does the program then work like in terms of addressing points or prerequisites and impact categories, things of that nature? So what, what all does it cover? Well, I think just simply uh, it's modeled after the lead rating uh, program. If you're uh, you know, looking at lead and you understand that some credits are required, some credits, uh, some points you get are voluntary, depending on uh, what you've achieved with the, the um, program. So we have prerequisites as well. We have voluntary credits. Most of the credits in the standard are voluntary, but you need a certain number of those to reach a certain level or what we call a certain threshold, which in the certification program we call level one, level two, or level three. Level three being that meaning that you've achieved uh, the most uh, or more points over the course of your process than level one or two. Um, it ensures that you have a green, the, the, um, I'm sorry, the level certification program ensures that you can't have a green product by accumulating these points, but not a, uh, and, and still have a brown company. So while it is a product standard, we also measure the processes, you know, where is it made and how, as well as what the corporation is doing. So that's when I get into brown companies. Corporation, you, you have to uh, measure uh, there as well and, try, and we try to incentivize companies doing more and going further uh, in, in that arena as well, even though it is a product standard. Hmm. So it might sound a little complicated, <laughs> and in fact it is, um, but in a way that, I mean, that's why we have a level certification, um, because it really starts to become a meaningful shortcut to design practitioners, where they can have, you know, the confidence that environmental, you know, sort of typical um, ecological type of concerns are covered, health and wellness is covered, social mm -hmm. sustainability, social um, capital, and so on, is all contained within it. Um, and so as they're making their furniture selections, you know, any product that's been certified to level will have gone through this very rigorous evaluation. Sure, yeah. 
And I know a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with Level or have heard of it, but um, have there been any updates to it recently that they should be aware of? Yes, there has. Uh, the, the program is about 10 years old. I think we put our first version of the standard out in uh, 10 years ago, uh, 2008, 2009, that, that area. Uh, and just last year, we published uh, what was the, maybe the fifth or the sixth revision. It, mm -hmm. it was a major update uh, since we uh, had it in the marketplace. And uh, we're very excited about it. The low emitting furniture is now furniture uh, credit that was voluntary in the past is now a prerequisite. So designers would know that any furniture that is level certified also meets the BIFMA uh, furniture emission standard to address indoor air quality. Right. Uh, we have criteria that has been added that mirrors the healthier hospital uh, uh, criteria. And uh, that is an optional credit. And it's not BIFMA's uh, intent to uh, reinvent the wheel when we looked at health and wellness. And we see other programs that are moving in the right direction. We want to uh, do as much as we can do to partner, to bring those uh, uh, people behind the programs in as stakeholders in our process, tell us where it fits in the furniture world and how we can uh, make a connection with those programs. So we have a number of those things in the new standard as well as ergonomics, uh, lighting credit that is brand new. And, and finally, uh, the one I like is uh, uh, the benefit corporation or B Corp credit uh, as, as I call it, it's a, uh, not a point for achieving or becoming a B Corporation, but it's a point for using B Labs assessment methodology, mm -hmm. the owner of the B Corp program. They came to the table as a stakeholder and showed us how we could incorporate it and use the criteria. And that encourages the manufacturers to go forward uh, with uh, on that uh, social uh, front with things that they can do to achieve more points for their product certification. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, I know, Brad, you mentioned earlier uh, indoor air quality, and Jennifer, I think you mentioned health and wellness. Um, obviously, that's a huge topic that's going on right now as we're dealing with the, the COVID pandemic. Um, can you talk about how Level might address um, health and wellness uh, as well? Absolutely. I mean, it's such an important point that you bring up and so timely, of course. Uh, sustainability and wellness are, are really very overlapping concepts. Um, when it comes to level, most of the criteria in level really does reflect back on wellness to someone. Um, one aspect of this that maybe helps explain that point is chemical exposure. Um, the, the criteria in level really addresses chemical exposure, not only to the people using the products in use, so that's where some of the indoor air quality requirements that Brad mentioned would come into play. It also covers chemical exposure to the people in the manufacturing process, you know, what they might have been exposed to um, in, in the making of the product itself. Um, and so I think a lot of your listeners will be familiar with, you know, the concept of a red list or something like that. There are several different ones out there. Level has a very robust version of this. We call it chemicals of concern. And so there's a whole criteria um, 
whether it's, you know, formaldehyde or, you know, mm -hmm. things that are on a, um, you know, a California list of carcinogens or just, you know, all these different sort of tools that we pull into um, the level certification process to ensure that you know chemical exposure is is addressed and and obviously that's it has a direct impact on wellness you know as i say all through sort of the value chain mm -hmm. um also there's there's the whole section in level that is devoted specifically to social responsibility and you know this is becoming more common now but as brad said you know level came out initially back in 2009 thereabouts and and it was really quite a novel concept at that point you know where um where it was not as common as part of one of these multi-attribute standards to have a whole section devoted to social responsibility and so you know that very much overlaps with the wellness conversation it speaks to the practices that impact wellness um, in the communities where the company would operate obviously their own workforce but then you know even broader in the community the labor practices, for example, um, and, and even the B Corp example that Brad was talking about is, you know, an example of the way we've continued to evolve and enhance this whole area around wellness and social responsibility. Mm, yeah. Brad, did you want to weigh in at all on, on the, on that topic? No, I think, I think she covered that. Yeah. Okay. Mark. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the last thing I wanted to um, ask, because I know our listeners will be curious, is you know where can designers and specifiers uh, find level products uh, for their projects? Well, for all of this complexity that we've been discussing, thankfully, I can say that finding the products is really very easy. Um, Bifma maintains a registry that lists. 100% of the products that have achieved level certification. Um, Brad mentioned these thresholds of level one, level two, or level three. Mm -hmm. And so this is all identified on our online registry, which is um, on the web, levelcertified.org. And you can go there and, and access the searchable database. The number of products that are listed there, um, is in flux all, all the time as, as new people would go through the process, but um, it's been hovering around approximately 4,600 uh, products for quite a while and continues to grow. And, and across those products that would represent 70 different brands uh, that your listeners would be, you know, accustomed to looking at for commercial furniture products. So, you know, long story short, there's a lot to choose from. When I'm out and about talking to designers and, and design practitioners or just influencers who, who are in any way involved in the selection process for furniture, I recommend that they start at levelcertified.org and see if they can um, meet the needs of their clients with products that have gone through the sustainability criteria that are certified it, it it's it's there's no additional cost i mean i think that's you know that's like a really important point you know a lot of times designers have an interest in having you know increasingly sustainable interiors and sometimes there's a price tag associated with that and the project or the client may or may not be in a position to pursue that you know at, at a variety of levels so um level certification you know any cost that had to be um, incurred has already been incurred by the manufacturers who had to you know perhaps change their processes or whatever in order to right. meet the criteria so there there's no additional cost to the client to the designer so it, it's a great place to start i'm not saying they'll, you'll find 100 percent of your needs there but mm -hmm. um but certainly that's what we recommend 
Sure. Yeah, no, that's great. And I know our listeners will appreciate having a one-stop shop where they can go for information. And, and that's great too about, uh, you know, there being no additional cost. I'm sure that's, uh, it'll be attractive. So, well, this has been a great conversation. Lots of really good information here. So thank you again, Brad and Jennifer for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you, Robert. Yeah. Stay safe. Thanks. You too. Well, that's it for now. Uh, for our listeners out there, uh, be sure to check back in soon as we have a lot of great podcasts coming up, including more from our How to Specify series, um, as well as a conversation I'll be having with our good friend Jane Rohde of JSR Associates to find out what's happening in the senior living market in light of the pandemic the, that I think you won't want to miss. Thanks again for tuning in and be well, everyone. Thank you.